Preachers sit through lots of worship services and you analyze things from a different perspective. And I just today, this morning, obviously we're doing all things, thinking about worshiping God and honoring our mothers and all of that. Uh, but what happened today was funny. Uh, when they announced that children's training hour was back, there was a collective sigh of relief and could <laughs> not have been uh, probably more mothers relieved for that. Uh, so <laughs> good timing there, whoever planned that out uh, in advance. Um, we do want to say Happy Mother's Day to you, as has already been said. Obviously, we think about that. And as we, as we consider why we take worship and focusing on God and, and reflect upon honoring our moms and why that is, and I thought, you know, moms do a lot of things, uh, but maybe arguably, primarily, you might say that moms teach us a lot of things. Did your mom teach you, you things? My mom taught me, me things. Uh, maybe, maybe your mother taught you about faith. You know, remember when you were a little kid and you spilled some grape juice on the new carpet and she looked at you and said, you better pray that stain comes out. <laughs> Maybe your mother taught you about irony, you know? I, if you, you know, in that very serious moment she's trying to discipline you and for some reason you just can't keep it together and she says, you keep laughing, I'll give you something to cry about. And teach us about irony. Maybe your mother taught you about the weather. And she walked in your room and said, my goodness, looks like a tornado went through here. Perhaps she taught you about the circle of life, the beautiful, powerful season by just looking at you. Perhaps you were fighting with your siblings and just came down to your level, got right with you eye to eye and said, I brought you in this world and I can take you out. Maybe, maybe your mother taught you about behavior modification. Maybe she just looked at you and said, stop acting like your father. Our moms teach us a lot of things, and some silly, but many serious, of course, when we understand the impact that moms have on our lives. I know that Mother's Day can also be a challenge. I've talked to some of you this morning that Mother's Day is hard. Uh, maybe you've lost your mom. Maybe you don't have a, a good relationship with your mom. Maybe things have been difficult in that regard. Maybe you've tried to be a mom and you're unable to. Uh, there are some women who avoid church on Mother's Day for that reason. Perhaps you've lost a child. These are realities of life. And I just simply want to acknowledge that and say we understand that Mother's Day is not easy for everyone. And, and if you're here, if you're watching online, uh, know that we, we love you. And Jesus loves you, as, as Greg mentioned this morning. He loves you and he loves you still, uh, even for those for whom Mother's Day is hard. Every family has a different way of doing it. Um, perhaps you woke up and gave your mom or your, your, your children gave your mother uh, breakfast in bed and presents and cards or perhaps, perhaps your mother said, what I want for you today, I want all my family to be with me at church. And so maybe that's why you're here. Or perhaps you're going out to dinner after this. So you're watching the clock very closely because you have reservations. Every family has their own way 
of honoring their mom, but most of these ways of honoring involve a gift. Giving something to our mother to acknowledge all of the things which our mothers give us. (laughs) The first and most important gift, of course, is the gift of life. To think that your mother... Her, her body went through great changes. She brought you into the world at, at great pain to herself. But she did that because she loved you. And in those early days, she, she would wake up with you in the middle of the night and feed you. And she got older to nurture you and discipline you. She gave you the gift of food and Clothing. And as you got even older, she became uber mom and she would drive you around and take you to uh, uh, ball games and practices and rehearsals and school and all of these kind of things. Your mother gave you protection and your mother gave you wisdom, security, and love. See, our moms give us a lot of things and so it seems pretty natural that we would want to give them something in return. There's a story told about a young lady who was actually kind of ashamed of her mother. It wasn't because of what her mother did, but because of the way her arms looked. They were covered in scars and quite unseemly and hard to look at. This teenager didn't want to be seen in public with her mother because her mother's arms were so terribly Disfigured. We understand that that's not the way to be, but sometimes teenagers can be superficial. Not you, of course. One day, this girl's mother and her went shopping, and the mother reached out her hand, and it went a little farther than the sleeve, and the clerk looked out in just horrific shock at what he saw. He didn't mean to. It was just a very natural reaction But the the teenage girl was terribly embarrassed at her mother's arms. Understandably hurt, the mother waited about an hour, and then she finally went to her daughter's room and for the first time explained why her arms looked that way. She said, when you were a baby, I woke up to a burning house, and your room was the center of the inferno. Flames were everywhere. and I could have gotten out the front door, but I decided I'd rather die with you than to leave you lie alone. I ran through the fire. I wrapped my arms around you. I held you tight, and I went back through the flames, which were now larger. And as I carried you out the door of the house, my arms were on fire. When I got outside on the lawn... The pain was agonizing, but as I gently laid you down, I was so joyful that the flames had not touched you. little girl looked at her mother through new eyes, weeping in both shame and gratitude. She kissed her mother's scarred arms. She understood how valuable moms are. Maybe you've done something like that for your child, or maybe it's been in small, less dramatic ways. But the point is, we understand that moms are 
the embodiment of a living sacrifice. And so we honor them with some sort of gift. Not a gift in equal to the sacrifice, for sure, but a gift to acknowledge the sacrifice that a mother makes for her children. Uh, See, of all the gifts a mother gives her children, the greatest gift, the one that surpasses all others, you might expect me to say herself, but actually there's one even greater than that, and it's what I call the greatest gift of all. And we're going to talk about that this morning. This gift comes from, of all places in Scripture, a prison cell. If you are following along in your Bibles, uh, I hope that you will. If you're a guest here this morning and you don't have a Bible, we have these brown Bibles that are on the back of the pew. And you can take that and use that during the sermon, but you can also keep that as our gift. And it's a wonderful Bible, and it's got studies in the back, and uh, you can follow along with the message this morning. So we hope that you'll, you'll take that gift and be blessed by it. We turn to 2 Timothy, which is uh, on page 1,273, if you are not sure where the books are. And as we, we think about the book of 2 Timothy, we understand that it's not really a book. It's a letter. And it was written, it's what we call a prison epistle. It was written from a prison cell. And Paul, from historically and from the Bible, we know that he had been, this is his second imprisonment in Rome. And it's likely that it's from here that he is writing as he awaits final execution from Nero. So, and... Scholars argue about this, but most agree that this is the last time we will, we will read from Paul's pen in the Bible and in the New Testament before he would go to his ultimate reward. And he writes these words from a, a prison cell. Now, when I say a prison cell, that's challenging because a prison cell that you and I think of is a place that's com- climate controlled and that there's three meals a day and plenty of water, in some cases internet and cable television and lots of, of things. A first century prison cell was, was not that at all. It was a dungeon. It was cold. Uh, if you got any food, it was thrown to you either through a small hole in the side or a small hole in the top. But there were many days prisoners didn't get food and certainly no visitation. The walls were bare and, and from this cold, damp pit, Paul writes this letter, probably his last, to the young protege, Timothy. And he writes these words, we're going to read together, follow along, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Pouring over these words, 
we hear so much of Paul's heart, if we're paying attention. What would you expect to hear from the final words of a condemned prisoner? Very unlike the words that Paul wrote. Something was different about Paul, and something is special about this letter that he's writing. He says, first of all, uh, I'm an apostle by the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul did not see condemnation. He knew that either he was going to continue serving the Lord or he would be condemned and executed and go away to be at home with the Lord. You, you hear hope in Paul's words as he writes. Now, that's unusual. You don't often think of, of a prison as being a place of hope, but Paul has a deeper hope than what most prisoners do. The second is, he says, to my beloved To Timothy, my beloved child. Now, you understand, of course, that we have no inclination that Paul was even married, let alone have children. Timothy is his adopted son. He was like a son to him. He was uh, had a closeness that surpassed blood. You have that kind of relationship with someone in the church. They're they're closer to you than even your own family. Paul and Timothy had shared experiences together, had shared mission work together, and no doubt had shared their very lives together. And so he says, my beloved child, my beloved son, his adopted son in the faith, Paul was the father in faith that Timothy probably did not have. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from the God and Father of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, you understand, if you've studied Paul's epistles, you understand that Paul often says grace and peace. That's that's very common. Most of the letters have that grace and peace. But to Timothy and to Titus, he he adds this extra level. He says, grace, mercy, and peace. And peace. Is that anything? Does that mean anything? Who were Timothy and Titus? Timothy and Titus served in the ministry. I love this. Paul's saying, be sure to give your, your ministers an extra of mercy because they're human too. Grace, peace, and mercy, he, he writes to Timothy. Then, then the second thing, you see, first we see hope, then we see love, then we see gratitude. He says, I thank my God. Now, in, in the middle of a prison, suffering for the gospel, Paul is writing, perhaps in chains, chains by his foot or uh, one of his hands. But as he's, he's suffering in here, can you imagine how you and I might feel in, if we were in such a condition? But Paul's heart is full of things that are unusual, hope and love and gratitude. As he's sitting there in the prison, he doesn't, he doesn't say, woe is me. He doesn't say, ah, you know, so-and-so is to blame and, and, and I shouldn't be here and this isn't right. Let me out of this cell. No, he's, he's filling his heart, his mind, and his spirit with gratitude for memories of Timothy and Timothy's heart and Timothy's faith. And he says, I constantly, I remember you constantly in prayer. And he's bathing 
that entire process in prayer. He says, I remember you. And and, and of all the memories that you might ask, what does Paul remember about his time with Timothy? Even though he couldn't be there, what were the memories that were going through Paul's mind? And I'm sure there were lots. I'm sure there were lots of stories. If Paul and Timothy, as they sat down together, could say, remember when we went to this church? Remember when we went there to begin that mission? Remember this? You kind of share in those stories. Mark was teaching class this morning, and he shared about going over to be a part of the, to, to see the work that Jonathan Hannigan was doing, and, and he shared in that experience. So people who are in ministry and mission work do that. But this is interesting. Paul now, writing with love and hope and gratitude, remembers lots of things. But there's one thing, one thing above all others, that rises to the top of Paul's mind and Paul's heart. And this will be verse 5, and Jesse will read that. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwells first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Despite you know, whatever memories Paul had, what rose to the top, what what sparked in his heart and what filled his joy and what gave him hope and what filled him with gratitude. And the thing that he wrote down was this, your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother, mother, excuse, grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure now dwells in you as well. Isn't it interesting? See, when we think of all of that mothers do, and mothers being mothers, think of all that they wish they should have done, or all of the regrets of what they could have done. And Facebook just constantly reminds them of how they fall short again and again and again. But Paul, writing to Timothy, says, there's something I remember about you, and it's this. You have a faith it's as sincere and unhypocritical and focused as I've ever seen. And I know where that came from. It came from your mother, Eunice. And I know where Eunice got it. She received it from her mother, Lois. You see... Their faith, his mother's faith, his grandmother's faith, gave Timothy a legacy. Now, in that culture, legacy was passed down by whose father was yours. We don't know much about Timothy's father at all. Acts chapter 16 tells us that he was Greek. He was probably a a non-believer. We don't even know that he was in the picture. Scripture doesn't tell us much about the spiritual legacy of his dad. But Paul, in a prison cell, in the last letter that he would write, in the last time that Christians would hear from him in the New Testament, remarks about his young protege Timothy, his adopted son in the faith, and how amazing his faith was. Somebody else is preaching. Moms, 
grandmothers, my, my encouragement for you this morning is this. Of all of the things that you can give your children, there is one that matters more than anything. There is one that will outlast your life, your children's life, and their children's children's lives. This single gift is the greatest gift you can give. And that is this. A sincere faith in Christ. The Greek word for sincere in this passage means simply genuine, without hypocrisy, no pretense, no prideful show. I imagine that when you saw Timothy preaching, or listened to Timothy preaching, that was the same Timothy you saw in the marketplace. The same Timothy you saw at home. It was consistent. It was sincere. And he got that from his mother and his grandmother. They shared their faith with Timothy. We're actually going to be talking, uh, the elders wanted to focus this year on the importance of evangelism and the importance of sharing your faith. You know what? This is something that mothers do very naturally. This is something that is passed down from mother to child and to grandchild. The scripture says in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, page 1213, if you're following along. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? Now, we understand in context, we're, we're speaking about the, the Gentiles and the, the people that did not know Christ and the world and this message of salvation being shared with the world. But I want you to think about something. Our children come into this world not knowing Christ. How will they know about Him? How will they hear about him? And where will they hear about him first? Continuing verse 14. How are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed. The gospel for Isaiah said, the Lord who has believed what has heard, what he has heard from us. So faith or 17 comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If your mother shared Christ with you, if your mother showed Christ to you, you've been given the greatest gift a mother can give. And that exceeds the gift of life. <laughs> Because what she's given you in that is the hope of eternal life. She, doesn't, she didn't just share her faith. Hopefully she showed it as well. James chapter 2. James chapter 2 is page 1292. is all about faith and works. <clears throat> now there's two extremes in the religious world. There is one extreme which says all you have to have is faith. Faith alone, that's all you need. And there's another extreme that says, well, but there's some works you have to do. I mean, and there's a lot of works you have to do. And you have to do what this religious figure says this many times 
And you work this way, and you work up, and you get to heaven by earning your way in. And between which of these two extremes is Scripture? Right in the middle. You have to have both faith and works. It's not an either-or proposition. And in James chapter 2, he says this, Someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my, uh, show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? <laughs> you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You see, belief is not just by itself. In that way, if, if we're talking about belief and faith, the demons have faith. I mean, the demons know there's a God. But there's a difference, you see. They can't just stop at faith. He goes on to say, verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. You have to demonstrate faith by showing it. Now, why do I bring up James chapter 2? For this reason. If anyone has shared faith with you, And if anyone has showed faith to you, chief among those should be your mother. I'm not saying mothers have to be perfect. Please understand, I'm not putting that pressure on you. In fact, if anything, I hope that you freely confess your imperfections. When you mess up, I hope you fess up. Because in doing so, you show that you yourself need a Savior. That's sincere faith. That's the kind of faith that made an impression on Timothy. Oh, I'm sure that they read from the Scriptures. They would read from the Old Testament, of course. I'm sure that they prayed around the dinner table. I'm sure perhaps they prayed as they put young Timothy to bed. He heard their faith in Christ, and he watched them live it out. And in so doing, they shared their faith with a young man named Timothy. It would go on to carry the legacy of the Apostle Paul. Mothers, the the greatest gift you can give, please hear me, is not brand name clothing, is not living in a brand new house, is not having all of the right connections, is not by being that ultra-helicopter parent involved in every element of their child's life. No, these, these are not necessarily bad, but... Those are not the greatest things. The greatest gift you can give your children is faith in Christ. Now, there are some here whose children are grown, and you're feeling overwhelming guilt right now. And you need to understand that your children, as you've always known, have had free will. From the moment they were two or three, and you told them to stop and put that down, in that moment they had to choose to obey or not. But my encouragement to you, even if your children have not begun that journey with Jesus, my encouragement to you is to not give up. Your preacher is here because his mother's mother did not give up. And for those of you who bring your grandchildren and your great nieces and nephews to church, you are doing God's work. And mothers who with children at your ankles and wondering how much longer can this sermon go, and thank you for children's training hour, you are doing God's work. 
The greatest contribution you may make to the kingdom may not be something you do at all, may not be a huge monetary gift. The greatest gift you may give to God's kingdom may be in someone you raise. Proverbs 22, 6 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. So mothers, grandmothers, I want to encourage you to be like Lois or Eunice or Wilma. Who is Wilma? You say, well, her story is not in the pages of Scripture. But Wilma is someone that changed the world, not so much (laughs) from who she was, but by the person she brought into the world, a man by the name of Chuck Norris. Wilma Norris Knight is the mother of Chuck Norris. Now, this past week, I believe it was, Wilma Norris celebrated her 100th birthday. You say, 100 years old? How old is Chuck? <laughs> believe it or not, you probably, don't, you probably wouldn't believe me. You think the preacher's lying. I had to get behind the pulpit to say this. He's 81 years old. And I hope I'm looking that good when I'm 81. I hope I'm looking that good when I'm 51. Chuck Norris was born on March 10, 1940. In fact, he was born in the very hospital that he built. There's <laughs> a bit of a delay on that joke. When he was born, the doctor cried. Because no one slaps Chuck Norris. Getting to a serious point here. This past week, she turned 100, and this is what Chuck Norris wrote about his beloved mother. My mom, Wilma Norris Knight, was born in 1921 in Wilson, Oklahoma, where I grew up, a population of a whopping 1,800 people. Mom had a very difficult first half of her life. She was raised in abject poverty. She was given away as a ward of the state when she was only eight years old. For two years, she was treated for a rare disease where she had to live away from her adopted family in a children's hospital. When she returned healthy a few years later, just in time to live through the Great Depression, her entire family, including the young kids, used to pick cotton in the fields just to survive. My mom married my father at age 16, but soon thereafter was abandoned to raise three boys all alone. I was the eldest, and often to assume the roles of my absent father, uh, I had to step in. We were as poor as church mice, but that also prepared me to overcome some great obstacles in life. Mom has been an example of perseverance and faith her whole life. She is the last survivor of her 11-member biological family, She also endured the deaths of two husbands, a stepson, two grandchildren, and my younger brother, Wieland, in the Vietnam War. She has had cancer repeatedly and has gone through roughly 30 different surgeries for a host of issues. And maybe now you know where Chuck Norris gets his strength. My mother is still here to tell about it. My mother has prayed for me all 
my life through thick and thin. When I was born, I almost died from complications. While nearly losing my soul to Hollywood a few decades ago, she was back home praying for my success, my sanctification, and my salvation. And she even prayed for me to find a woman to help change my life. When when my mom's 100th birthday and Mother's Day, both in the same week, I am simply overwhelmed with gratitude to God for these two incredible women's influence in my life. I wouldn't be the man I am without Wilma Norris. There's a Spanish proverb that says, an ounce of mother is worth a pound of clergy. I think that's way undervalued for my mom, since she's also now a centurion saint. There's a text from Christy. She said, enough. Okay. Moms, the greatest gift you can give your children is showing and sharing your faith in Jesus. Children, I have a message for you. Your mother doesn't just want you to go to church with her. Oh, that's great, wonderful, and we're glad that you're here. But the greatest gift you can give your mother is to be in heaven with her. And if you don't know Christ, uh, that he's the only way that I know of to heaven. And if you're ready to know Christ, if you're ready to, your mother gave you life, Christ will give you new life, eternal life. And you can be with her in heaven. If you're ready to put him on in baptism, we will do that this morning. If you're ready to, to, to make, to obey the gospel and, and to make that decision, we have some of our shepherds who will be at the back. You can head to the back uh, during this next song and let them know what you'd like to do and we'll get that arranged. Or if you've strayed away from Christ and need to return to Him and repent in some way and turn your life around, we'll be glad to uh, help you with that. Our shepherds will do that as well. If you have a need, please head to the back. The rest of us, let's stand and sing.